Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello, and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this, and who knows? Maybe we will learn something together. So before we get started on the show, I want to talk about a few things. I want to talk about the giveaway I'm doing on the Western Hunting Summit. So I'm giving away a spot to the Western Hunting Summit in Bozeman, Montana, with uh, Ryan Lampers that he puts on. And there's gonna be some awesome, awesome people there teaching you all kinds of things and advancing your hunting experience so you can get years ahead of where you would flatten that learning curve, if you will. I went last year and it was absolutely amazing and I wanted to share that experience with somebody. So with that being said, Send an email to admin at publiclychallenged.com telling us why you think you should go. Follow Publicly Challenged on Instagram. Follow Western Hunting Summit on Instagram. And also Initial Ascent because they're going to be giving away a 2K pack to the lucky winner who gets to go out there. So not only are you going out there, but you get a brand new pack to go out there with. So follow Initial Ascent. And thanks, Dennis, for and, uh, and Joe for stepping in and doing that. Initial Ascent packs are awesome. I got one, and uh, I used it all last season. Same exact pack the winner is going to be receiving, so that's pretty cool. Also, want to talk about Basemap. Basemap Hunt Fish, awesome app. It's probably one of the coolest because the price point is way lower than all of the other ones out there, and you can do all the same features, and they even have hunt data stuff that I'm using right now for my next elk hunt, and uh, that's definitely pretty cool. So check it out. Use the promo code. PC25 and save yourself 25% on sign up. But you got to do it online on the website. Don't do it on the app or you won't be able to use a promo code. With that being said, thank you so much and let's get to the show. All right. So I'm sitting here and I am talking to Mark Warnke. And uh, 
Mark, you got pretty interesting business kind of going on here. So you want to go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. Yeah, I've been in the hunting industry a long time. I've been a public land hunter myself for a long time. I've killed 29 elk with the bow. I've killed almost 100 animals with archery tackle all over the world. I've been bow hunting the world now for 30 years, but my sweet spot is big elk and big deer. And when I say big, I I really have killed a lot of really super solid muleys, but I haven't killed a lot of giant elk. I, elk are for the freezer and muleys are for the wall. Um, you know, <laughs> just uh, I like eating deer, but I love eating. And so uh, it's just really hard for me to pass up forward 20 yards, no matter what it is. And I still love, I still love calling them in and we could kill two a year. So it lets me shoot the first one. And, and then I get to, you know, be selected on the second one. That just ended this year. But anyway, a little, little rabbit holes, but uh, you know, I'm known for two things uh, as one of, one of the founding, you know, cunning consultants in the country. I, you know, I'm I'm the guy you call to put together a hunt for almost anything in the world. I specialize in elk deer. Um, that company's called Toppin Adventures, and in the process of being a backcountry hunter and and doing a lot of backcountry scouting and just backpacking, I came across pack goats nine years ago. There wasn't a lot of information out there. There wasn't a lot of good gear out there, so I started putting the gear. I started putting out the information. Now, packgoats.com is a thriving and burgeoning know uh business that is almost overtaking top end adventures and something that i really enjoy doing and whatever wants to more about is pack goats so that's primarily what we're here to talk about but i have references to global hunting as well cool man um so you said you kind of got introduced to them like nine years ago what happened did you go on a hunt with them and uh kind of fell in love with the concept or was it just you wanted to find that's a way good. Yeah, that's a good question. No, I was sitting there talking with one of my buddies uh, in the Elkwoods, and I told him how much I enjoyed a backpacking trip that I took with my wife and and how meaningful that was for me to finally have her in the backcountry. But all she did is bitch the whole time about how heavy the pack was. Right? <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, it was just great. But she's just constantly bitching and pissing and moaning about this backpack, and I can't do anything about it. And I hate horses. And Llamas are just freaking ridiculous. And so, you know, I wish I could find a stock alternative. He goes, well, I've heard of people doing it with goats. You have to look into that. And I was like, goats? Well, shoot, I had a goat when I was a kid, and it was a super cool critter. I'll look in. And so that's just kind of started looking and bought a couple of adult goats off of Craigslist, bought two shitty saddles off of, you know, somebody that had them used on Craigslist and, and went on the first trip, and it was freaking awesome. And then I just never looked back. I mean, I just... I kind of, you know, bumbled my way through it, learned how to do things, made tons of mistakes, sought out kind of some mentors that were, you know, out there in the world and and helped with the breeding and just got better and better and started getting my own equipment, my own panniers and training models. And now here I am today seen as kind of one of the global authorities on practice. So when you, uh, I mean, you live in Idaho. And, um, you hunt a lot in grizzly country. Um, that's a good question. No, we don't, we we, only down near Yellowstone. Do we have them in Idaho, but I do in Wyoming. Um, I hunt in grizz country and, and it always is a little bit of a look over your shoulder thing, but I, I approach things like that in a similar way. Like I know this is going to sound dumb, but whether my lady's going to cheat on me is out of my control. Whether a grizz is going to walk into my camp is out of my control. And whether, 
you know, my, my goat's going to eat a poisonous plant is out of my control. And if I sit there and fret about all three of those things, then all I do is, is I don't enjoy where I'm at. So I go in, I'm prepared. I have a good game plan. If something happens, I'm going to be ready, but I certainly don't sit there and fret about it all the time. So when I'm in grizz country or just, I, I mean, in Idaho, there's, there's bears, cougars, and wolves everywhere where I camp. Um, uh, bears are the ones that I quote unquote worry about the most because they're the biggest bumblers. They're, you know, they're not a methodical predator. They're not going to take a lot of time coming in. Um, you know, they are an animal that, that is uncalculated in how they approach uh, a potential prey or curiosity. Whereas a wolf or a cougar is methodical and super nervous and will take a lot of time and protect itself in that process. So I've had wolves and cougars within 50 yards of my camp many, many times because I've seen tracks, but they've just never come in. I've only had one bear come into camp the whole time with pack goats. And, and bear in mind, I probably have over 4,000 trail miles now in the backcountry in Idaho with goats. I've had one bear incident. It was, a, uh, it was actually back in the day when I still thought it was okay to leave my goats in camp while I hunted. It came into camp. It chased the goats out of camp. I had to go look for them. I found them. And I learned my lesson that they hunt with me or I have somebody with them in camp all times. That's kind of how that works. But so, yes, I've been in Grizz country and, and it makes me a little nervous, but not hugely. So I saw a video. I don't know who it was. It may have even been you. This was a long time ago when I first started down the whole Western hunting uh, rabbit hole and journey. And uh, the guy had pack goats and he left them in camp and a bear came in camp kind of that scattered them all over you went and got mm -hmm. them then you had them with you was that so that was you then you had mm -hmm. them with you had a bull down here comes mm -hmm. another bull coming in and you guys arrowed the next bull with all the goats just meandering around right there while you were cornering right. up the other one yeah that was your video yeah. uh-huh yeah <laughs> okay so yeah. yeah that was like yeah. uh two two and a half years ago maybe even three years ago i, I watched that video and i was like yeah. man that's awesome so yeah, that's Elkville. <laughs> we have Elkville one, two, three, and four. That was Elkville one. Okay, yeah, those were pretty cool. Uh, pretty cool videos, and it piqued my interest. And uh, I've always kind of, and I've got a buddy that does have llamas and uh, does his whole business and everything. But for me, it's not kind of, it's not really practical. If especially I live in the Midwest, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, I mean, no matter what animal it is, I'm sure I'd have to acclimate it just like I'd have to acclimate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think goats are just <laughs> a little more practical for somebody like me or whatever, as long as I train with them and do that. What kind of stuff do you do to uh, get your goats in shape for uh, hunting season? Um, so I used to, you know, I always say two days a week is how you get them into shape. I, I used to do a piddle jog with them one, for three miles. It can be done in flat terrain, doesn't necessarily have to be done in, you know, in hills and mountains. I do it in the hills. I have a certain loop that I do. There's a 500-foot gain, and I piddle jog a three-mile circle with them. Um, twice a week gets them in shape, takes a couple of, you know, six, six eight weeks to get them in shape. And then, um, but if I just do it once a week year-round, they always stay in shape. Um, myself, because I've gotten so busy and I have so many goats, um, now I, it, you know, I'm still envious of the old days when I just had four or six, that's really an easy thing to have. I have 17 now, right? So I, I have, you know, cause I'm testing genetics all the time. So I have the old guys going out, I have guys in the middle and I have new guys coming up, but as a breeder, I need to see how these 
these crosses are working on the trails. So I'm constantly experimenting with new cross combinations. And, and to do that, I need a lot of goats. So for me to go out and run on the trail with 17 goats behind me is, is becoming impractical. And so, and at the same time, I hurt my back and, and I, I got a divorce and business got really busy. And so I was forced to two different years where in the off season, once November hit, I didn't really have them back in the field till September. So they had almost, or it's not September, but, but May, because May, June is when I start packing in bear bait. So they, they really had about four or five months off just to kind of be off and sit in the pasture and kind of get fat and out of shape. Um, and what I found is, is that as long as I loaded them lightly, I could go into bear baiting season and move them through there. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, go into uh, go into my summer packing season, which I pack in the high mountain lakes almost every weekend all summer. And by the time I'm in hunting season, they are fit as a fiddle and ready to rip. And they're really ready to rip after about two months of conditioning. So it's just like you or me. You can't just get off the couch and go out and kick ass in three <laughs> weeks of training, right? Most it's, of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, maybe I could have in my 20s, but you know, I'm 50 now. So I, I gotta stay in shape year round. If I take some time off, it takes me, it takes me a while to get back where I was. And they're the same. Um, and they'll perform, they just won't perform as well as they could. You know, when you may have a string that's in really good condition, they'll snore with 50 pound loads. And I did three 21 mile days last year on GPS. So 21 miles, one, one day in, in Elkville four, that's a video that they can watch. I shot a stud bull and we had already had a camp, uh, a bull down in camp. So we had hunted out that day, came all the way back to camp. We loaded up the one bull in camp, picked up my bull went down to the trailhead, packed all the way out. That was a 21 mile day packing out two different bulls and every goat was ready and ready to fight again the very next day. So that's, that's when they're in shape and they're kicking ass, but that was after spring bear season, summer packing season, then we rolled into hunting season really put the hammer to them. And that was seven goats. So we had seven goats, two, two bulls, 21 miles in a day. It's pretty good. <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> i wouldn't want to do that with a backpack <laughs> that's... I know, right? yeah it was it was that it we packed out of a drainage that was really freaking hairy and a, just a brushy bitch and so we fought it the whole way down and thought god let's go up that other drainage because we know it's not as furry and we went up that and that was like a, a literally a bottom the bottom land was like tall grass and it was all like rocks that were round so you were just you're, you're just doing this the whole time every step was off kilter and it was 11 miles of that this is super gnarly gnarly yeah. that was a gnarly that trip out back to camp was harder than the trip down with with load it was just the footing the footing sucked the whole way that sounds terrible um <laughs> that's one of those where not to shoot a bowl right <laughs> <laughs> we are just I, I just, I go to so much effort to be away from people. My day just gets ruined by seeing the dude. And, you know, I've just always been that way. I'll always work harder than other people just to get away from and, You know, there's a lot of hardcores out now. Backcountry is, it used to be kind of a mystery and it was easy to be alone. Now it's super hard. I, I bump into guys where I never bumped into before. It's, it's kind of heartbreaking to be honest with you, but, you know, yeah that's i'm probably one of those guys unfortunately that you're gonna be bumping into even though i'm trying to do the same thing but um so 
when when you're running these and you're taking them in the backcountry with you, are you running them like are you, are they in a string or on a line or are they never, just kind of? Free? I never have them tied up. They'll always follow you just out of out of herd mentality. So do they always follow you, or I mean, do you have uh-huh. to kind of condition them from the beginning to to kind of follow you? No, the bond the bonding process bonds them to you, and in goat world. If a doe walks the other way, the lowest rung of the string walks the other way, they'll all follow. So because I walk away first, they'll all follow me. It's just like this collective conscious. Goats don't walk away from each other. So if somebody's walking, then they'll all follow. So it's just how it works. That's so through pretty- bottle feeding, we take them away from their mothers while they're still wet. We bottle feed them from day one. They assume they're a human. They assume we're a goat. And so it's just we're part of the herd. And we're different because we're the alpha they don't ever challenge us physically they're they're very loving but you got to remember goats aren't loving to one another so we're unique and that we dole out love and we're the alpha so we are the king of all alphas in that way um and these goats are like golden retrievers with horns i would trust a small child they're just beautiful loving kind personal filled i mean it's the it's the funniest thing to me because guys like us you know it you know, uh, you know, I I spend most of my life in a sleeping bag. I'm a hardcore outdoorsman. Um, I'm a dealer of death in a loving way. I I have that part of velvet and steel of me. So people and I drive a big ass truck with big wheels and do all that shit, right? So people assume <laughs> that I'm like this this hardened mountain man, and I hang around with hardened mountain men. You get that kind of guy and me around a goat, especially a baby goat. They get all freaking lovey-dovey, start <laughs> using their little kid voices and what are you doing today and tickling and, you know, pursing their lips and just becoming these giggly little girl men. And that's the way goats are. They just, they, they break you down. That's the cool part about them is that you'll fall in love with them too. You'll love them more than your dog. Your dog will become a pain in your ass, I guarantee. <laughs> so what I know of goats and, and, uh, I grew up kind of in the country and, and uh, have a lot of buddies that had farms and livestock and all that kind of stuff and have raised goats. Um, I mean, they are escape artists from what I've seen. Um, you better have them squared away pretty good and don't ever park your truck next to the pen and let the goats out because they will definitely get on top of it. <laughs> but um, how, how, how do they do, I mean, do you got to really try and keep them contained or what it, what kind of fencing do you use when you got them, um, you know, well, corralled un, up? Un, yeah. A happy goat with good food and water and shelter doesn't have wanderlust to get to the other side. I never have problems with my goats getting out because they like where they are. The okay. problem with most people is that they take care of their goats so shitty. Their goats are desperately hungry, hungry for nutrition and, and they try to get out of that pen because they're getting fed like shit. Um, unfortunately as a stock animal everybody assumes that a goat will eat anything they're not they're super particular about their diet learning about their nutritional needs being foragers is just something that unfortunately people make an assumption that they're these bomb proof animals and they 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 really aren't um when i drive by pastures of goats because i know what i'm looking for i can tell you 90 percent of goats in people's pastures are super shitty nourished they don't have good mineral. They don't get have good food. They certainly don't have good graze. Any goat that's in a pasture with grass and expected to make a living off that, that is like the lowest rung of nutrition for a goat is a blade of grass. 
They cannot live on grass. They will make a living and they will survive there. They're horribly nourished. So the reason goats have had a reputation of being escape artists is because they're just trying to find resources. My goats never try to get out because they got everything they need where they are, right? So I don't have electricity. I don't have a big, super tall fence. I mean, if you come see my property, it's, it's nothing elaborate. Um, and my goats never get out. It's just not hard to keep them in they're well nourished. Now that said, electricity does wonders, right? So I don't have electric fence at mine, but if you have a low fence, goats hate to be shocked. Um, so all they got to do is know that that fence is live and they'll never touch it again. They're hard on fences because they love rubbing on them. It's a good reason to use electricity. It's also a good reason to keep domestic dogs out. Domestic dogs, people's dogs are the number one killer of goats. So they'll, people get into the pen and they'll tear your goats up. So having a good electric fence to keep dogs out is just a smart idea. But it's, it's really not hard to contain a goat if you're taking care of them. So let's talk about the nutrition then. What, what kind of demands and needs do they have and what would actually be good, good uh, yeah, browse for them? Well, so almost nobody, I mean, it matters how many goats you have. If you have four, four to six goats, you're going to need four to five acres of brushy, weedy terrain. They eat very little grass and they're still only going to eat on that about eight, nine months a year. If you have 40 acres, then they can at least go and forage and they won't eat all their favorite things down so they no longer exist in that pasture. But they, they have a very selective palate. They'll actually eat portions of plants right. So you'll see them eat the top off, then they'll eat the leaves the next day, then they'll eat the flower. They're very selective how they eat. They'll eat a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And they'll eat on the food naturally foraging. Um, so if you're going to do a dry paddock, which has how most people do a dry lot, you're going to feed 50-50 alfalfa grass hay mix. That's a perfect mix for most goats. You're going to test their water to make sure it doesn't have too much calcium because they need a calcium-phosphorus ratio. It's two to one because then they'll, they'll, they'll build urinary calculi, which is a stone in their bladder that plugs up their penis and they, they die of an exploding bladder. So there's, there's a little bit of maintenance with that, figuring out what your ground is and what your feed is. And then, and then you need a good open mineral. A loose mineral, it's just like you or me, if you eat a whole bunch of salt, you're thirsty after you get done, you drink water, you dilute your urine, and then you don't, you don't create stones. Um, so a good open mineral that's geared towards your area. Min mineral, the reason we feed goats mineral is because the food in their area isn't natural goat food. And so they're not getting the minerals that they would get in the high Swiss Alps where they originated. So we try to match the mineral to the area and what the feed isn't giving them. So I can't tell you what mineral to get. You have to actually ask the people in your area who raise goats and who are successfully raising goats. And generally, as a rule, the most successful goat owners are dairies. So if you know a goat dairy person in your area, they're going to go to the mineral next to you. Cool. That's that's uh, good advice for sure. Um, so Well, and, and let me mention this while you're here because it's super important you know this. If people are scratching notes or trying to do that, I have, a, I have courses on all these subjects. So I have a how to raise a baby goat course that'll tell you everything you need to know about raising a good, healthy, young packer. I have a course on pack goat 101. I'll tell you everything from how to load panniers, how to train your pack goat, how to teach him how to load in the trailer, uh, how to nourish him long-term, how to lead train him. 
Um, everything, how to set up your campsites for predator deterrence, all those things are in a course. I have a milking course. I have a birthing course. I basically teach everybody through online courses that are video and written how to become a goat. So whether it's a hobby farmer who wants to have two Nigerian dwarves and wants to milk them, I got a course that will show them. So, so all these questions that you have are super valid. And nobody ever goes to how to raise a goat school. I mean, vets don't even know how to take care of goats. <laughs> Remember, vets spend five days on goats in school. So if you think you're going to trust your vet for solid goat advice, you have to become your own vet. You have to give shots. You have to know how to worm them. You have to drench them. So I teach you how to do all that stuff in these courses. No, that's that's also very good. I was going to ask about that and get to that. So we could talk more, maybe if if there's more you want to talk about that. But I I heard you mention um, that the minerals and everything that they get in you know the Swiss Alps. So are they the most or your breed? Are they kind of alpine goats then, or what? What's the variety there? So yeah, so alpine is a breed, right? So there's there's several dairy breeds that come out of the Swiss breeds. Uh, there's La Mancha, there's um, Oberhausley, there's Alpine, there's Sonnen. Those are the four big ones. There's also Toggenbergs. Um, I'm not really a super big tog fan because they're kind of a, a, a weird species of goat. My cornerstone breeding that that I like everything is Alpines, uh, La Manches, which are the ones without ears. They're probably one of my favorites. Alpines are one of my favorite. I love Alpine La Mancha crosses. I like Oberhausleys, but Oberhausleys are small as a general rule. I have my hands on almost the only giant Oberhalseys available in the country you know, our, our people can get them through me. There's another breeder as well that, that has some good ones, but they're hard to find big ones. So don't, don't just go buy any overhalsy. And we all want, we want these goats to finish at 190 to 250 pounds. That's about 10% of the goats in America. So, so hoping that you're just going to go on Craigslist and go find the breed that I'm telling you, and that's going to work. Most of those goats are little peanut goats and they're not well-conformed and they're not what you're looking for. People can get goats directly from me. People travel all over the country to get goats in my operation. I'm middle of kidding season right now. I was telling you before the interview, I'm feeding you know, like 22 gallons of milk a day to babies and people coming in from all over the country to get goats from me. But Alpines, La Manches, Oberhausleys, Sonnen is one, but they're pure white. I'm not a big fan of the pure white thing, um, but there is a colored Sonnen called a Sable that I also mix into that. Um, and then I avoid all the meat breeds, Boers, Kikos, um, those goats are bred to eat. They get really fat, they're barrel bodied, they're not endurance athletes. Uh, they're kind of like trying to have a line and a spark race. You want a tall, leggy, skinny guy to win a race for you. You know, that's what dairy breeds for how to Yeah, for sure. Um, so with that being said, and talking about how you want like the bigger goats and everything like that, that's because... The bigger and more muscular it is, what is it like thirty percent or something of their body weight they can carry, or uh, what's what's um, the rule? Yeah, there? the state the, the the rule is thirty five. I never load thirty five because that's a hell of a load. They can do it, but I also want my goats to pack for their whole lives. And you know, I choose to add another goat to the string and downgrade everybody by a couple of pounds than have everybody super heavily loaded. So generally, as a rule, thirty is the upper end of what I do, and I like to be closer. 25. 25% is a, is a good heavy load for a goat. They can do more, but I also like mine still to be agile, to be able to cross over logs and do big mileage days. 
So if you're going to require a big climb out of them, agility, off trail, um, long day, you, you can't load them down to 35%. It's just a lot of weight on 25, they can do it in shape easily, and even 30, but you know, you need an A team to do that super good genetics. I always tell there's three three things people need to invest money in to get into packages. Top end genetics. I believe I'm one of the best sources for that. There's a couple other people in the country I trust as well, and I'm glad to share them too. Um, you need high end genetics, you need proven packer stock, um, you need a good saddle. Um, you know, the same as a good pair of Kinetrek boots. There's only one saddle that I recommend. It happens to be mine, but it's only because it's the only adjustable saddle. Goats' backs are shaped like this, like this, like this, like this, like this. If you don't have a saddle that moves to fit them, and you have one that's shaped like this, and your set, your your your, your crossbucks are shaped like this, then they're getting 10% contact along the bottom. It's super hard on them. It'd be like you wearing size nine shoe and you're a size 10 i'm asking you to do 10 miles it's ridiculous to not put a fitted saddle on the goat they just have too much variance in their back so we have the only fully customizable fittable saddle it costs the same as a pair of kinetrek boots it's about 460 bucks you need to be prepared to get a good saddle if you want to go cheap on your panniers and your collars and your leashes and your high lines and all that shit have at it don't buy a cheap saddle and the other thing is your education you don't know how to raise a baby goat, you're not going to raise a good goat. You need the education and know how to take care of them. I have people that follow the program. They have goats that finish out at, at 220 pounds. I can sell their buddy, their twin. He doesn't go to the course. He doesn't follow the program. That goat finishes out at 170 and he's malnourished. I see it over and over and over again. So three things, education, a good saddle, and the right genetics. That's the way to start. So when, you, when you're talking saddle, you're talking like, a pad with like the rack for the panniers, right? Correct. Yeah. So it's a cross buck, a traditional, like you're going to put on a horse or a mule or a llama. It has to actually have room for the spinous process. You can't put weight. So it rests on the ribs on each side. And then you have two ears that come off each side. The other thing about my cross buck, traditional cross bucks come up and then they cross right up here, right? So you have a, you have a saddle that sits like this and then you have cross bucks that come off and then you hang the panniers on each side of that. With a goat, they're the only stock animal that's super good at about going under things. So if you leave four inch crossbuck up on top, all it does is hook on everything. So what I did is I rolled the ears down to the side. So now you, you, you lose four and a half inches on the top of the saddle and a, and a goat can go underneath structure. And so that's just another of many advantages of this saddle. The, the other thing, and you can watch my videos on it, because of how a goat is built and because the saddle wants to creep, creep up on their weathers, you can't get proper fit if you have the cinch coming off the middle of the saddle where it traditionally goes. You have to bump it further forward. Well, nobody has that either. So again, unfortunately, because goats get considered as just this second fiddle animal, they've never had saddles that have truly fit them until the one that I put out. And there is one other saddle that does. But it's a it's a soft saddle design. It's a good one. It's called the Sopra or Sopris. It's equally expensive as mine. But the problem is it's a soft saddle design, so it's reliant on super heavy cinch pressure to hold it in place. And it's like you or I wearing a you know twelve pound weight on our chest and trying to breathe in the backcountry. It just it doesn't work to have our chest compressed to hold that that back on. So good design, smart idea, poor cinch design, so it doesn't fit. 
So again, um, that's just the way it is. If, if, if somebody else had a better saddle, honestly, I would buy theirs. I'm not here to sell saddles. I'm here to keep goats comfort. Right. So when you're, I mean, when you're loading them up, then what are we talking like uh, 15 pounds per side kind of roughly is kind of your goal no, there then? Or? No, 25 to, 25 to 30, 25 to 30 aside, my goats average like 215. So 30% of their body weight, I could put 60 you know, 60 to 70 on a good goat. The saddle weighs seven and a half pounds and I can put, you know, 25 to 27 each side pretty easily. So you're doing that and like, say you go somewhere where there's not a whole lot of water or something like that, or say you're hunting like the the high country in Nevada and you got to pack in your water. Are you needing to pack in water not only for you but for the goats too or how how would that yeah if the feed's really lush they don't need a lot of water packed in for them they'll get they'll get by on their own it matters how hard you're working and how hot it is but it's really easy to pack in enough water because if i have five goats i can easily get away with three carrying camp and goods and i can have two you know water's eight pounds a gallon so i can haul a haul hell of a lot of water i can haul in a hundred pounds of water on two goats i mean that's enough for that's enough for at least five days before I have to drop down to retool up. So hauling water for goats and yourself is really simple. So are you carrying feed in with them too then, or are you just letting them browse the whole time? Yeah, they're just browsing. Sometimes late, late season when it's really hard on them, it's cold and the feed is shitting that time of year. I'll bring in alfalfa pellets, but I'll bring in just like a 25 pound bag. And I've only done that like twice in nine years. So they normally they're very resourceful and they can get on their own. I'll, I'll just watch them close and make sure nobody's looking lethargic or, you know, if the feed's really shitty, I'll make sure I pack it in. But I almost never, ever pack in feed for them. That's one of the killer advantages of it. So you said a bag, are you talking like pellets, like pelletized food for them or are you feeding uh-huh. them? Yeah. Okay. Like alfalfa pellets. Yeah. Is that kind of a staple then, even when you're you're back at home, or, or are you feeding them? No, if much I feed I feed it straight out of the bale. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I felt they can't they can't eat pellets full time because their body needs their rumen needs fiber to work properly. So a goat a goat won't do well. Eighty percent of their diet is roughage. That's why they eat things like bark and twigs and and you know stems and you know all that shit because they need. They need bulk to do the process of fermentation in their stomach. Right, right. So um, when you're doing that, and you kind of mentioned like when the weather's shitty, so are you talking like uh, snow or something like that, or where the where the feed is covered? Yeah, I mean, not as much that. It's that they're getting wet and cold, and they're having to try to keep themselves warm. So I I pack in a backcountry milker, so I'll bring a dough in with. So my, my female will produce a gallon of milk a day for me. That's 2,200 calories a day. So that means I get to leave food at home. I don't have to worry about it. I get perfect fat and protein. She's making it for me from leaves and twigs while we're walking along, right? So that's a <laughs> super kick-ass aspect, right? And she's really easy to melt. She's nice to have in camp because she keeps the boys feeding. She's out feeding all the time. The boys get kind of lazy. But the girls are always eating to make milk, right? So I'll have a backcountry milker with me. And um, uh, I adjunct on your question. What was your question? So I was just saying the weather. The, so you talk when oh, feed, feed so, is scarce. So, yeah. yeah. So what, what it allows me to do when I have a doe with me in the backcountry 
is I can measure nutritional stress on the goat. So what a backcountry doe allows me to do is have literally a measurable in how much milk I get. So I know if, if because if a doe's eating well, she'll produce more milk. If she's eating shitty and she's working hard to stay warm at night, her milk production will fall off. So I can actually like have a physical test of how well my herd's doing based on how much milk my doe is making. Because like I'll bring a doe home from a backcountry trip and she'll be making a half a gallon a day in the backcountry. I bring her home and I get her grain and I get her alfalfa. And bam, we're right back to a gallon a day again. So nutrition is a huge part of it. And you will see a doe fall off as the trip goes. But that's how I've kind of paid attention to how well my string's doing is how well is my doe doing, right? If they're spending a lot of energy, it's like, you know, we have a product that's a goat coat. So it's like a raincoat for goats. And when goats get really wet, they have a hard time staying warm at night. So we have a tendency to try to keep them dry if we can. So um, we don't try to keep them warm with a, an insulated jacket. We just try to keep them dry. So we'll either bed them down underneath trees, we'll bed them down underneath the tarp, or we'll, we carry a little one pound goat coat. We'll put the coat on them and it'll keep them dry at night. When I coat up my doe, she has better milk production because she's not working so hard all night long trying to stay warm, right? right? So that's kind of the process. That's what I try to teach people. If you make the goat work hard to stay alive, then he's going to be have less energy to work hard for you. So work hard to keep him comfortable. You know, haul him well, feed him well, shelter him well, and he'll bust his ass for you. But he's just not going to have as much in the gas tank because he's putting it out every night just staying warm. Yeah, no, for sure. So um, how do they do in like snow then? I mean, if, especially if it's getting a little bit deeper, um, can they fine, handle it? As fine as, yeah, as fine as a mule deer handle it. I mean, once they start post hauling and they're bellying out, they're going to struggle their asses off. But so are you at that point. So, you know, foot of snow, no big thing. Three feet of snow kicks their ass and it kicks my ass too. So we're probably not going to hang out in three feet of snow on the head, on the head home. Right. <laughs> so I think I saw a video of you speaking of the milk thing. Um, you were milking the, the goat and then um, put, I think you put it in your coffee or something. You're making a pot of coffee. Oh, yeah, camp. It's, the bad, it's the most <laughs> badass coffee ever. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I, I don't use cream at home, but in the back country, I'm always using goat milk for my coffee because it's part of the way I take the goat milk in. Right. I don't just want to drink milk all the time. So I, put it in my coffee. I put it in my soup at night. I use it in cooking. I mean, it's, I'm using it in my hot chocolate, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, I love goat milk. It tastes delicious, but at the same time, when you're just, you're trying to drink a gallon a day, it's a lot. And I'd rather have it in my coffee and my hot chocolate, and my soup. So yeah, I do it. Lots. Right. No, that's actually a, a buddy of mine kind of taught me that, um, to put, he always puts heavy cream in his coffee when we go hunting like especially like duck hunting or something he's like well i don't want to be a, a d-bag and uh you know oh man i'm hungry we got to go get something to eat let's stop hunting and he's like if you put the heavy cream in your coffee and load it up pretty heavy he's like then you got your coffee and you got a little something kind of in your stomach for substance but so that's that's smart yeah, doing that's that smart. for sure um so you <laughs> you were saying so how do you do you have to like refrigerate the milk or or um you just keep... i always just keep it in the creek I'm always camped next to water, so I just have a stainless steel water bottle and I'll keep it in the creek. And I milk every morning and evening, so I usually just consume the one half in the morning and then the other half in the evening. No, that's that's awesome. That's 
pretty cool to do that. And I mean, as you like you said, you're using it for an indicator. So I mean, mm-hmm. that that's that's a good idea. So now you're pretty well, much telling everybody. <clears throat> Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, so now you're pretty much telling everybody, though, that you not only do you need that, but you need a kitted nanny with you, right? So one more mm-hmm. to buy. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, I, you know, I have the luxury because I'm the goat guy to have, you know, I have, I we, we milk eight gallons a day. So I have milk goats here all the time. So it's, they're, they're, Cinder is my primary backcountry milker. She's experienced in the backcountry. She knows how to feed herself. She descends, defends herself from the boys. But if you just have one, it's a really nice addition. The ladies are, a, they got a cool energy to them. And they're just a, they're, they're a cool critter. They, they got a different I don't know. I like having she gets to be next to the fire. So. <laughs> kind of lost you there a little bit. Oh, uh, so I said, uh, yeah, I, I like having the girls around the campfire. They're allowed to they, they, they aren't allowed to campfire. You know, fighting Goats are aggressive. Yeah. Um. So how, after, say she kids and she has the milk, how long will a goat continue to produce milk? Um before yeah before she stops one of the super cool yeah one of the super cool things about goats they they produce until you quit milking them so it's a supply and demand thing they fall off a little bit in their production but you don't have to freshen them every single year like most other milk animals and uh so they stay fresh in milk for a long time so it's not every you don't have to kid them every year to keep it going no that's pretty awesome i did not know that so mm-hmm. i always thought it was mm-hmm. kind of like the same thing as uh you know uh, dairy cow or something like that so right um, yeah the other the other cool thing is their milk is naturally homogenized so it doesn't separate into the cream and get all disgusting on top it just always the fat is always in there so it's always just stays milky instead of separating no that's awesome so when you're transporting your your uh your goats then into the back country I, I mean are you hauling like a big trailer because you're hauling such a large string of them or how, how do how do you transport them? Um, so, so I, I do a two horse, a two horse horse trailer. That's a straight load and it has a little front compartment. It's actually a stock trailer, but that's only when I'm taking more than six. So I can haul six goats in the back of my truck. I, I invented a, a goat hauler that has side compartments that load with all the panniers and sides. And then six big packers will fit in the, in the back of my Dodge truck. I don't have a long bed either. It's just a standard bed. So you'd be surprised. A lot of goats fits in a small place. No, oh, that's interesting. I mean, I, I always thought like maybe you could throw one of them. Like you see the livestock things that go in the bed of the truck to where it's got the bars and the that's door that I opens have. up. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's what I have. You just, you have to have it enclosed. You can't have them get blasted in the wind going down the freeway or the it just, it, especially with you coming a long ways, my, my goat hauler, and you can find it on packgoats.com. It has ventilation that keeps the ventilation going over the top. When you haul goats, you have to give them enough ventilation to where they're not, they're basically breathing their own methane because they have, they're susceptible to lung disorders. That's one of their weaknesses. They have to have nice, fresh air around them. So they can't be in like stagnant, pissy smelling air all the time. So you always have to have a little bit of ventilation, but not too much. You don't want to blast them. So my hauler has a big open gridded window in the back and then small ventilations on top that run the air over the top of them so they're not getting blasted, but they're still good. So 
it kind of made me think of it when you were talking about the they need to be like sheltered as you're transporting them. What kind of shelter do you use at home then? I mean, pretty uh, much a anything. Barn, three, yeah, three sided box. You just need a roof and two sides. They can literally withstand almost any weather. Good bedding. That. I mean, people are having them in Alaska and 30, 40 degrees below zero and that. As long as they have good beddings and a full belly, the way a goat stays warm at night is with a full belly. So that's another way you keep them well in the backcountry is you get them a good feed. I like to say that, you know, a, a word, hardworking packer needs about an hour and a half in the morning and an hour and a half in the evening to just go out and feed, fill his belly to be ready to work for you. And it's that evening feed is super important for them because that's what allows them to have a full belly and then ruminate all night. And that process of rumination creates heat. So it's just like if you were to ferment foods, they have this little internal fermentation process going on. They have a belly full of food or warm. Okay. So um, when, when they're, what are you putting down for like just straw bedding or, or what? Do you... um, I actually put little corner feeders in each bed because they'll eat a little bit and they're quite wasteful in that style of a feeder. So they're always putting new bedding on top. And during the winter, when you have bedding stacking on top of bedding, stacking on top of bedding, at the bottom of it, it's fermenting, right? So it's, 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 it's composting. And the process of compost also creates heat. So it's emanating up through the bedding and it's keeping them warm at night. So I always like to have a, a small feeder in the pin that they lay on and then they create their own bedding as a regular. Because in my area, straw is almost the same price as grass hay. It's, you know, six, seven bucks a bed. Well, <laughs> well, that's kind of a little pricey. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of do the same thing with uh, the chickens in the wintertime because it's too cold to get out there and scoop them out. So they have that actual, that live layer that keeps composting. It's the mm-hmm. kind of the same com- or concept, really. Yeah. So that, that definitely works. Um, when... When you, um, I'm trying to think of how, when, when you're selling these goats, like, um, is there like a set, set price or does it go based upon the animal or how, how does that happen? No. Yeah. If people want to order goats for me, they, I, and I still have babies still available this year. So if they want to order goats for me, it's a $275 deposit. My baby sell for 575 bucks. Um, you come out to Boise and you get them. I spend about an hour and a half with you teaching you about goats, about my string. You know, I spend a lot of time with people. I teach them how to give shots. I teach them how to drench animals. I help them to understand the nutritional needs. The main thing is sending off a super healthy baby. We do more than anybody I know in chemically, nutritionally, and time with people to make sure that our goats are as healthy as they can be going out the door. Um, not only that, the genetics are superior. They're, they're, they're really leggy, big, you know, athletic goats that I feel confident are going to be solid packers and, uh, we raise them right. And so when people come to get them, I feel like, you know, we put microchips in their tail, they get a birth certificate. This is a legit real thing. So we don't, we don't take any part of our breeding operation light. So with that being said, uh, I've always heard that, uh, you don't just want one goat. Um, so you can't, yeah, yeah. they're, they're herd based. So they'll, they'll, they, they can't be alone. So you have to get two. I recommend most people start off with three to four. I like when people start off with three, cause if you ever lose one, then you're not scrambling to go buy a shit boat to be his buddy. If you only have two. So if you have three, at least you have kind of a, 
a reserve. Um, if you have two as well, there's always going to be one that you don't like as much, but you're happy to have the other two and he's worth going because he's going to follow them. So, you know, I, I, I like to start people off with three. They usually start off better with that. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so, I mean, is it true like a goat will actually die of loneliness then? If I mean, if they're not by themselves, or what? Uh, um, what tends no, to happen? but they, yeah, but that you know, they'll just be they'll be trying to get out all the time. That's another reason people think goats are escape artists. So they put them in a pen alone, and they'll do whatever they can to get out of that pen. Um, yeah, um, I I don't know if it, I know that 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 bucks often in the commercial operations will be kept alone in their own pen. And those guys kind of just like go crazy. They literally do. They have short lifespans. They're super weird. They just get, they kind of go insane. Uh, you know, and I've, I've seen goats. I'm not one of these bunny hugging, you know, thinking animals are like us and all that shit, but I literally have seen goats be depressed. I've seen goats that I pulled off of other farms that were raised there, put them on my farm. And seeing them be down in the dumps for months before they kind of pick back up again, start feeling like a part of the group. So it's they're a pretty high functioning critter. Really, that's crazy. But I mean, I I mean, I, I guess I could see it, right? If it's you know mistreated or whatever, yeah. Especially because they have that herd mentality for sure. Um, they they do, and they're and they're super smart. They're just super smart. So that's another thing as well. Um, so I got to ask you, have you ever had any problems with your gear and the goats like getting into it or, or getting, getting eaten anything or like a sleeping bag or anything like that? I know you said that if you keep them nutritionally fed, but in the back country where they may or may not be having access to the nutrition that you're normally supplying them, is that like a, a thing or, or are they even more? Well, all, all my goats are taught as soon as we roll into any camp where they're allowed and where they're not allowed. And it's enforced with a squirt bottle. So any goat who comes into the camp perimeter, I say, get, and I squirt them. And then within two minutes, everybody knows where they're allowed and where they're not allowed. And they just know they're not allowed around the food, around my tents, around the campfire. They're just not allowed in there. And it doesn't take that long. They're super smart. And, you know, they'll just, they'll go other places. But I just keep them out of my particular area that way. So I'm not worried about them getting food all the time or whatever, because they will try if you let them. Yeah. That's always kind of one of the things I thought about. And when I've seen pack goats was that, and I mean, I've never seen a video where somebody said, hey, um, you know, that I had to go to eat my sleeping bag or eat my tent or my shelter. But kind of always in the back of my mind, you kind of tend to think of that sort of stuff, you know? Yeah, for sure. No, it's a good, it's, it's a good point. I do have a hole in one of my tents that my goat chewed one time. She was laying next to it. I caught her doing it. I was like, oh, my goodness, you know, $500 tent. So not super <laughs> <fun>. Yeah. <laughs> There's been a few times where I've wanted to, to actually hit a goat, but it's not like it's going to do any good. <laughs> with sure, those sure. thick skulls <laughs> especially yeah. when i parked my truck next to the pen and my buddy let the goats out that was that, my bad really my bad mm -hmm. completely because they all wanted to play king of the mountain on top of the the pickup but uh <laughs> yeah that's that's what happens for sure so yeah i i really appreciate you having me on the you know the the podcast and i hope that people get good value out of 
out of hearing both this, but as well, we have an extensive YouTube channel that answers a lot of these questions. It's under the name of packroots.com. The website is packroots.com. Um, and, you know, the fun part is, is I'm still a guy that will pick up the phone. So if people have questions to ask and, you know, they want to email me or, or, or contact me on the website, I'm still available. I do have a staff of people that help me manage some of the online stuff. But at the same time, I'm still somebody who's easy. No, that's awesome. I appreciate it, Mark. And uh, thanks for coming on and uh, sharing your knowledge. And um, I'm sure if I embark down that journey, I'll be signing up for the packgoats.com uh, courses for sure before I embark on it. And uh, yeah, one a, more time, can, a you, steep learning curve. can you tell everybody one more time where they can find the um, your content? Uh huh. Yeah. So on Instagram, it's my name, Mark Warnke, uh, is my Instagram handle. And then we also have pack dot goats so that's where you can follow kind of our corporate stuff um on facebook we have a pack goats group it has my string across the top it's, it has the most it's it's the it's the biggest group online on facebook on pack goats so it's pretty easy to find that way um and then i have packgoats.com youtube channel and then packgoats.com um basically i tell people if you just google anything to do with pack goats i'm like the first eight hit so it's really easy to find me um and again i'm I'm more than glad to answer people's questions. I wouldn't expect them to, you know, go on and spend a lot of money on a saddle or, you know, a, a new goat or, you know, be traveling all the ways without having a chance to talk to me and, you know, ask questions. So I'm always glad to help. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on. Mm-hmm. You bet. Take care. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. life that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western a mule there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv on mondays head offshore with captain scott walker and steve roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures coming to me coming to me coming to me double he's jumping he's jumping he's jumping oh, oh. Look at that don't miss mondays with into the blue brought to you by academy sports and outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m eastern tell a few fish stories along the way on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment